Good morning, Bethel. It's good to see you all this morning. So we've come to worship the Lord together. Our scripture reading for this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 to 18. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find that on page 966. And please stand with me for the reading of the word. This is the word of the Lord. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as the children Widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord is Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will, ma- I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Amen. That's the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Morning, Bethel. Um, Let me just reinforce, thanks, where's Brett at? Thanks for that good announcement. He just, oh, he took off. He's serving in the nursery. Okay. Um, He and the whole um, planning team appreciate all they're doing to get ready for this missions conference and also want to just underline what he said about next Sunday morning. We can do this, Bethel, right? Like most of you probably make it to work on time. Most of you who have kids can get them most of the time to school on time, to the bus on time, right? So we can make it next Sunday before 9 o'clock and be here because we really want to honor these people that are laying their lives down for the sake of the gospel, whether it's the Kirks or Tim Lewis. Um, we want him to know that we are with him. Um, that we are excited to be partnering with him um, for the sake of the gospel in the city. 
So please make that a priority. All right. Uh, well, if you're not there still from the scripture reading, turn to 2 Corinthians 6. And while you're turning there, I want you to think about a different passage that's probably really familiar to all of us, most of us, um, the parable of the prodigal son. So Luke 15, um, you don't have to turn there, but there's three parables that are part of one um, parable complex there, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost sons. Um, we love that parable. I think most of us that are familiar with it, we love it. And we also love the times when we've heard testimonies of similar return and reconciliation, when people kind of almost in their own experience, live out that prodigal son or daughter return. Uh, maybe you've experienced it yourself. I would be one in that category. So um, it's like that same story that Jesus told is being retold in contemporary life, in the life of someone that we know. Um, when we hear testimonies like that, what do we say? We, it's, just like, it's just like the prodigal son parable. And it's true. It is like that. And that's actually what Jesus intended. Okay, the parable of the prodigal son is not just a story. It's a storyline. It's a storyline that Jesus told, but he intended it to be relived. Okay, relived. Um, untold numbers of times throughout human history because this is who God is. He's a seeking, saving God. And this is who we are, lost sons and daughters. This is how he works. This is his character. This is his compassion. This is how he feels about lost people. So the sheep, the shepherd goes after those lost sheep. The woman with the lost coin, she just tears the house apart looking for that coin and rejoices when she finds it. That's, again, the character of God. Well, our passage, oddly enough, you may have heard Pastor Pastor Tyler, read that and go, what in the world's going on there? How's that have anything to do with what's going on in my life? Well, actually, our passage has everything to do with the heart of the Father. Did you pick up on any of that when reading it? It took me a while to see it. Um, once I did, it all started to make sense. So it is the heart of the Father that helps this whole passage kind of come into focus. So may it be that the Spirit of God, as we study His Word, would almost be like the autofocus on the eyes of our hearts to help us really see what's there as we look into God's Word and also see clearly our own hearts and to change us. So if you're not there, like I said, turn to 2 Corinthians 6. Um, and we're going to dive in here. So God is the ultimate reconciler. He's the ultimate peacemaker. His heart beats for relational restoration, for relational peace, for rich relational love and unity. Isn't that great? That's our God. So if you were here last week, we looked at chapter 5, the latter half of chapter 5, and at the end of chapter 5, it talks about Paul saying that he's an ambassador of God, you know, imploring other people to be reconciled. So look back at it there, just, just a few verses, 5.18 to 21. Through Christ, God reconciled us to himself. And then 
It goes on, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sin, our high treason, our ingratitude, our disrespect as his people. He's made us, he's given us everything that we have. And by nature, we're all just like insolent, rebellious teenagers. So instead of judging us for it, he paid for it. He paid our debt. He dealt with our rebellion. That's the love of the Father for his children, giving his son so that we could become reconciled sons and daughters. So 521, such a beautiful summary of the gospel. For our sake, God the Father made him, God the Son, to be sin. He who knew no sin, Jesus was sinless, perfect sacrifice, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. So his, like, he took all of our sin and shame and guilt and mess and debt, and then he gave us his righteousness, this great exchange. So this reconciling God, loving, peacemaking, relationship-restoring God, once he reconciles a person to himself, he gives them, he gives you and me, he gives us the privilege of becoming reconcilers. Okay, look back at 5.18 again and look at what he says about that in these verses. He gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, entrusts to us the message of reconciliation. And then verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors. For Christ, God making his appeal through us. So Brett was mentioning some of these same ideas. We're called to be God's mouthpiece. We are to implore people to be reconciled to God. And I don't know about you, but I need some help with that. You feel like you need some help with that? Well, Paul's here this morning in 2 Corinthians 6 to help us see how to do it. So as we observe his example, it's going to really help if we keep in mind that Paul was actually a spiritual father to the Corinthians. Okay, flip back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, just so you can see this and have it in mind, because this passage, like I said, the key to understanding it all is the heart of the Father. Well, there's both a capital F father in this passage, and there's a lowercase f father. And both of those fathers share the same heart, okay? So 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 15, listen to how Paul talks to these Corinthians. I mean, he planted this church. He went there and shared the gospel. People got saved. They started a church. So he was their spiritual father. He says, I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So, see what's going on? The heart of the Heavenly Father is actually replicated in Paul, their spiritual father. So, the heart of the Heavenly Father is actually shining forth from Paul, their spiritual father. Father. He's the embodiment of the heart of the Father to the Corinthians. So we're actually supposed to hear the heart of the Heavenly Father in 
the heart of this earthly, spiritual father to the Corinthians. And then, so we first respond by running to our Heavenly Father and being reconciled. But then, once we are reconciled, we're to respond by adopting the heart of the Father in the way that we relate to to others. Do you see that progression? Does that make sense? So, first we need to be reconciled to the Father, but once we are, we become reconcilers and we should adopt the same heart of the Father in relation to other people as we extend His reconciling love and grace to others. We become embodiments of the heart of the Father. So others are supposed to hear the heart of the Father coming through our heart as we put our hearts on the line for them that they might be reconciled. So if you notice this big picture, the heart of the Heavenly Father echoed in Paul's spiritual father relationship. It's going to help you understand what's going on here, but not only that, it's also going to bring it closer to home. Okay? So, I actually think this passage has a lot to say to parents. There's a number of parents in this room, and I know there's a number of parents in this room who have hearts that are heavy for children that are drifting, maybe rebelling, children that are not reconciled to God, not reconciled to them. This passage has a lot to say to those parents. It also has a lot to say to spiritual fathers and mothers whose hearts are heavy for people that they've poured their lives into. And yet, those people may be drifting or rebelling or walking away or wandering, loved ones that are not reconciled to God and not reconciled to them. What do we do? How do we handle that? So, if we see that that's what's going on here, it's going to bring it much closer to home, and we're going to be helped. So, there's an outline in the bulletin. There'll be slides up here, help you follow along. So, let's look first. Point one, verses one to two, do not receive the grace of God in vain. So, Paul writes, working together with him then. So, he just said that God is this great reconciler and he gave Jesus so that we might become the righteousness of God. So working together with God, then, as ministers of reconciliation, we appeal to you, Corinthians, not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, and he quotes Isaiah 49, 8, in a favorable time I listened to you and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So Paul quotes Isaiah right here. Why in the world did he do that? Well, if you know, not expecting anybody to know this, but if you know the context of Isaiah 49, it's a prophetic word to the servant of the Lord, and it relates to the promise of God to bring his people out of exile They were in exile in Babylon. Bring them out of exile and back home. So here is Isaiah, this 8th century B.C. prophet, calling the Israelites to repent and return home, out of Babylon, back to the city of God. Paul is like a 1st century prophet 
calling the Corinthians, who had been drifting and even rebelling against him, to repent and return home to him and ultimately to his heavenly Father. And so this morning, my role even is a prophetic role. Calling anyone that's in here this morning who's wandering from God or anyone who is not yet reconciled to God to come home, to repent, to, to leave the far country like the prodigal son. Who, he just kind of came to his senses. He's in the pigsty going, why did I trade my good father whose servants have it better than this? Why did I trade that for pig slop? He finally woke up, and where's he going to go? He goes home. And he meets with this beautiful, merciful, compassionate, loving welcome. Yes! If you're wondering, you need to know the heart of the Father. Waiting, calling to you, wanting you to come home. So that's what this passage is saying. If there's anybody in that boat, God has you here for a reason this morning. A loving, merciful, compassionate, kind, like got his eye on you reason. Just like that father in the parable of the prodigal son, the father will welcome you with compassion and forgiveness and just cover you. He wants to cover, he doesn't want to just shame you publicly and, you know, ugh. Maybe I'll talk to you later if you can clean up your act. No, let me clean up your act. Let me put my robe, my best robe on you so that everybody in the village knows that you're mine. He will wash away your shame and your guilt and cover you. The old will pass away, the new has come, which is also in the context in 2 Corinthians. So if you're in that boat, what are you waiting for? Now's the time. There's no better time than now for getting right with God and getting right with his people. So for Isaiah's audience, God, God was at work doing this new thing, working a new deliverance. He was going to rescue his people from exile, return them home. He had done all the work. He was going to do all the work. They just needed to respond. They needed to get up and go home. Same was true for the Corinthians. In Christ, God had worked a new deliverance. He came to seek and save the lost. We're all exiled out of Eden because of sin. And Jesus came to bring us home. We just need to respond. We, we can't save ourselves. But we need to repent, get out of the pigsty, and come home. That's faith. Come to Jesus. And so it is for us this morning as well. So are you wandering? Anybody in the far country? Did you know that when you woke up this morning, God wanted to bring you in here to say, hey, you, no, no, you. Like, I mean you. I love you. Come home. Don't stick your fingers in your ears. What more do you need? It's all there. It's all available in Christ. Come home. I, I love one of the songs that we love here is Come Ye Sinners. 
Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able, he is able, he is willing. Doubt no more. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. So come. No better time than now. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. Even the grace of God in this moment. I'm sure there's lots of grace, you know, in the past. But there's grace right now. Don't receive it in vain. Don't hold out for some more convenient time in the future. Now's the time to get right with God. So if this is the Father, if this is his character, this is his love and his compassion, why would you turn away from him? Why would you spurn him? Why run from him? Why not run to him? Whatever you're pursuing instead of him, it's never going to satisfy. It can't compare with him. It can't save you. It can't satisfy you. It can't give you peace. It's only going to bring you more trouble, which is why he's imploring you this morning to quit that fool's errand and come home. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't treat his priceless grace like a trifle. Now, for those of us who are in Christ, trusting and following Christ, guess what? You and me, we're ambassadors. So who do you know in your life who is drifting, wandering, rebelling? Just like Paul with the Corinthians, who is it that you need to appeal to as God's mouthpiece? Is it a child? Is it a friend from college? Is it an extended family member? Maybe a coworker or neighbor. There is so much here to learn from the ambassador ministry of the Apostle Paul. And guess what? God has you here and me to give us more of his reconciling heart so that we might be faithful ministers of reconciliation to the people in our lives who need to hear about the grace of God. So how do we do that? How do we live as ambassadors? Because how we live matters immensely. And that's where Paul goes next. Look at his example in verses 3 to 13. His cruciform ministry, his cruciform life is commendable. And he lays it out here for the Corinthians and for us. So verse 3, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Now, certainly there are ministries, have been ministries, will continue to be ministries, sadly, that could be blamed for the struggles of their followers. You can imagine a pastor committing adultery or being caught embezzling funds and the impact that that has on a body. You can understand why some people just, I don't have anything to do with the church for a while. 
People get shaken. They trusted these people. And then they end up floundering for a while. They're afraid of getting hurt again. But that wasn't the case for the Corinthians. And may it not be the case for us here at Bethel, okay, or for people who know you and me. Okay, the, the cross is certainly offensive to some. Yes, it's a stumbling block. But may it not be that we are the stumbling block. Okay, because how we live matters as ambassadors. It matters immensely. So Paul had this commendable lifestyle, cruciform living, cruciform ministry, just like Jesus following in his footsteps. So may it not be our personality or our sin or our hypocrisy or our lack of love that would be the thing that gets in the way that people could point to to dismiss what we're saying. Instead, our lives ought to adorn the gospel. Our lives ought to commend the message and the heart of the God behind the message. <laughs> Striking out here. Okay. There. So, look at verse 4. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. This is like a he heading over all that follows. So this great endurance that Paul that characterizes Paul's ministry, it's evidence of the power of the Spirit. Power of the Spirit's work in Paul to sustain him through all this great suffering. It's not that Paul's boasting in himself. He's not. He's commending himself to the Corinthians as one worthy of trust. He's saying, I hope my love for you is evident in how I've conducted myself. So by great endurance, there's like a heading, and then there's three sets of three groupings of suffering, kind of kinds of sufferings um, that he's experienced for their good. Um, he loves them this much. So more in general, he says, in afflictions, hardships, and calamities, big general categories, talking about sufferings. Specific examples, these are sufferings that were brought on him from the outside by opposition to the gospel, beatings, imprisonments, and riots. But also, he has voluntarily assumed a lifestyle for the good of others that is filled with suffering. Death is at work in him so that life would be at work in others. So labors, those are voluntarily chosen. Sleepless nights, hunger, could certainly refer to fasting, could refer to being so focused on the ministry that he just didn't always have, he wasn't always worried about providing first for himself. And then more on how he conducted himself. This is what characterizes his cruciform ministry. This is how we also ought to operate. This is what ought to characterize us. Look at verse 6. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness. Where does all this come from? From the Holy Spirit. Genuine love. Not posturing, not fake, you know, smile, plastic, veneer Christianity. It was genuine love. Verse 7, by truthful speech and the power of God. He wasn't going to manipulate, flatter them, tell them what they wanted to hear. Truthful speech, the power of God, not the power of, of rhetoric. You know, if he just could preach well enough, 
be persuasive enough by rhetorical tools and strategies. No, he's relying on the power of God, the power of the gospel. He continues with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Most likely, what do you have in your right hand? I know there's a few lefties out there, but you've got an offensive weapon in your right hand. You've got a defensive shield in your left. You're fully equipped. Okay? But these are weapons of righteousness. So Paul refused to resort to worldly tactics in order to accomplish spiritual ends. Same, same thing happens today. We need this as well. Paul's day, people were trying to do ministry with very worldly means. That's not cruciform ministry. The ends don't justify the means. Spiritual work needs to be done in a spiritual way. So for instance, for us, guilt trips and manipulation as a way of motivating people. That's like using worldly tools for spiritual ends. It doesn't matter if the goals are good. You need both good goals and good means. So Paul will go on to say in, in chapter 10, verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So verse 8. He's describing his manner of ministry again through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. Remember back to the beginning of the list, make sure you don't disconnect it. We commend ourselves to you by great endurance through honor and dishonor, slander and praise. Paul keeps loving when the response is good and when it's bad. You know what Paul had? He had thick skin and a soft heart. Isn't it easy to flip flop that, to have a hard heart and thin skin, especially when you suffer at the hands of others. We can let our heart get hard and our skin gets really thin. So in other words, we get cold to other people. I'm not going to get burned like that again. I'm not going to let, let them stomp on me again like that. And then we're easily offended and we're so sensitive to criticism. There are so many Christians, and this is in each one of us, so it's not just out there with all those you know, wimpy Christians. We all need to look in. So many who seem to have a very low tolerance for mess. If we're going to love people, folks, we're going to need great endurance for it. Not, I'm out. Like, I don't need this. It's a good thing God didn't treat you that way. Good thing he's stubborn in his love and long-suffering, patient. Don't you want that for you? And if you have that, do you think it can fill you up and enable you, empower you to have Great endurance in the way that you love others, even when you get burned, used, you know, taken advantage of. So, what do we do here? Paul opens his heart wide. He doesn't let their sin, the stuff they throw at him, close him up and harden him to them. Thick skin, soft heart. What enables that kind of endurance? 
How can our tolerance and our patience and our endurance muscles be strengthened in love toward others? Cruciform ministry. Well, again, I mentioned it already. It's the gospel. It's how God has dealt with us. His stubborn, merciful, patient love, his heart. That's what can keep our heart soft. And actually, it's what can thicken our skin as well because if we have his smile, if we have his approval, we can handle whatever frowns come our way. We're justified. No one can condemn us ultimately. So Paul goes on. We're treated as imposters. Remember, there was kind of an opposition party that rose up and kind of a ringleader. And then there were also these false apostles that were undermining Paul's ministry. So he was treated as an imposter, and yet he was true. As unknown, I mean, he was treated like a nobody. Imagine a war veteran with medals treated like a nobody and dishonored. Like, how would you feel? Wouldn't you want to say, do you know what I've done for you? Well, Paul, talk about like a soldier for the sake of the greatest war in the universe, laying his life down overnight, treated like a nobody. And what does he do? He doesn't get spiteful and bitter. and No. His heart is so full of the love of God for him that he still can have this long-suffering heart of God for the Corinthians. Soft heart, thick skin. Dying and behold, we live. As punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Don't you love the buoyancy of the Apostle Paul? Don't you want this kind of gospel, spirit-empowered buoyancy? As poor, yet making many rich. Paul didn't have much. Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. But he had the riches of God's mercy, and he was just spreading them around liberally. Cruciform, commendable cruciform ministry. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. If you are reconciled to the Father, if God is your Father, then guess what your inheritance is? Everything. <laughs> Meek are going to inherit the earth. All things are ours. So everywhere we see that the manner of Paul's ministry is just as important as the message. In fact, the message is intended to be embodied in our manner. I love what the ESV study Bible notes say here. The glory of the gospel shines forth from a Christian's life in the way he responds to suffering and opposition. So it's actually an opportunity to display power of the Spirit, love of God, grace of God, patience of God, all of that. So just as those who wander need to hear this passage and not receive the grace of God in vain, so also we who are following Jesus need to hear this passage, and we need to keep asking the Lord to mold us into the image of Jesus that the grace of God would be beautifully evident in the way that we live. Commendable, cruciform ministry. I think there's one other takeaway, at least, from this section. Paul's a mature Christian minister, right? What is normal life for a Christian who's wholeheartedly following Jesus, especially for those who pour themselves out in ministry to others. Well, here it is. 6, 3 to 11. A whole lot of suffering. 
and a lot of grace for persevering, loving endurance. That's Christian, like mature Christian living and normal Christian ministry. So I just, I just want to make sure that our expectations are calibrated by God's word. We need cruciform expectations even. Okay, I think sometimes that we think if I'm mature and faithful, then it ought to pretty much be smooth and successful sailing. No, no, I mean, when I put it that way, it's just too simple. I don't believe that. But do you ever find those expectations creeping in or kind of bubbling up in your parenting? Like, if I do all this stuff, then it ought to just, like, what in the world is wrong with this child? How about with your health? I can't believe God would allow this saint to suffer like thus and such after all he's done for him. What's the theology underneath that? With your work? If I really am sacrificial, then it ought, you know, come on, God. Like, with your ministry? If that's our expectation, we are going to get set up for some serious disappointment and disillusionment. Normal life, normal ministry is a lot of heartache and enough joy to keep you from losing your mind. Amen? <laughs> By great endurance. Christian ministry is hard. If you're a community group leader, it's hard. Thankful for you guys that are doing that ministry. Faithfully. If you're out sharing your faith and getting hit sometimes, like, it's hard. You just want to, maybe you're not seeing much fruit. It's hard. You just want, doing any good. If you're counseling people, formally or informally, the folks that were out at the counseling conference because they care about helping people, oftentimes it can just feel like, is, is anything I'm doing doing any good? If you're trying to do justly and love mercy, if you're, if you're a parent, especially if you're a fostering or adopting parent. So I say all this not to rebuke those who are laying it out for others. I say this actually to encourage those who are laying it out. There is supernatural grace available for us to keep going, to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing, to have the latter half of all those little two-part things that Paul says to keep us from burning out and giving up and throwing in the towel. There's grace for every difficult season and for every heartache. The heart of our loving Father is always open to us. The arms of our crucified Savior made sure of that. So his open, his mighty heart of love can keep filling ours. Even when our heart is breaking, it can continue to be filled up, you know, Jars of clay, cracking, but there's a treasure in there. And we can be renewed inwardly day by day and keep loving. And you can do it to people even when they hurt you. Look at what Paul says next. Verse 11. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Again, he's their spiritual father. He's not trying to pat them on the head. He's, this is because he loves them. Widen your hearts also. So don't you see how the idea of spiritual parenting helps us understand this passage? Um, 
If you are a parent, I'm sure you've experienced this, but if you've also tried to minister to anybody and pour into anybody, you can also experience this as well. So your heart is breaking. There can be a breach in the relationships. You've poured all this love. And you know what? Your child or this person that you've poured so much into spiritually, they might even blame it on you. But again, how do you respond? Sometimes, what do we do? Not weapons of righteousness. We can berate or attack or get sarcastic or biting or cutting or condescending or patronizing. You're going to give that to me? I'm going to give it right back to you with interest. Remember, the manner matters as much as the message. Weapons of righteousness in the right and left hands. So this is a lesson in how to love and minister to others, especially to those who've spurned us or resisted our efforts at loving them. So that's kind of the end of point number two, and I'm looking at the clock here. So let me just do this. I don't want to blow through point number three. Let me show you the connection so that you don't miss that, and then we'll pick it up next week. Um, point number three. So, big picture, Paul said, be reconciled to God. Working along together with God, Corinthians, my appeal to you is not to receive the grace of God in vain. Here's my ministry. You know it. You can trust me. And so he's basically calling them to God and to himself And verses 14 to 18, he's calling them away from all the bad, unholy influences. Okay? So that's how it holds together. So that's where he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? So he says, my heart is wide open to you. Don't don't hold out. Don't be suspicious of me. Don't come halfway. Come on. Paul's just basically saying, come on, give me a big hug be completely reconciled, and ultimately he wants them to be completely reconciled to God. But then he said, you're going to have to leave some stuff behind. You need to drop some things. You can't have these unholy partnerships. So you're going to have to decide who you're going to serve. So that's where it heads from there, okay? So we just close here with, I think, the heart of our Heavenly Father, wide open, full of love, welcoming us in. So if you are in the far country, come home. And if you want to talk about what that pathway looks like, grab me afterwards, call me this week, love to talk to you. And for us that are following Jesus' footsteps, Let's pray. Let's let's just get our eyes on Paul and other people like him so that we can become more like Jesus, so that our manner will actually commend the message, commend the gospel rather than undermine it. We don't want to put an obstacle in anybody's way. We want to actually open the door for people to be reconciled with God. So let's pray for grace to do just that, and then we'll close by singing um, Only a Holy God. 
God, we praise you and we thank you that this is your heart. You are such a loving, welcoming, merciful, patient, compassionate Father. We thank you for the picture of your fatherhood in the parable of the lost sons. And Lord, I pray that we would run out of the darkness. If any of us are hiding, if we're holding on to things, if we've been drifting, help us to run from the darkness and run to the light and run to Jesus and then follow him and embody his love and his peacemaking and his reconciliation ministry to the people that you've placed in our path. Give us grace for it, we pray in his name. Amen.